Welcome, everyone. I'm Sandra Bargeman. A few years ago, I wrote and performed a solo show called The Edge of Every Day, which was an exploration of the rough edges and contradictions we all face and grapple with. The show hit a nerve, and the relevance of the topic would only grow over time more than I could have foreseen. So, here we are. Real talk with real people, sharing stories and perspectives that spark provocative invitations to leap out of what's safe. On the edge of every day. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. We are live in the hive. Thank you for joining me on this, the sixth episode of The Edge of Every Day, here on talkradio.nyc. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, and for those of you who don't know me yet, I encourage you to check out my bio on talkradio.nyc, or of course you can visit my website, sandrabargeman.com, or you can tune in to the replay of my debut episode, where I shared about the work that I do and the inspiration for this podcast. Or you can listen in on any of the previous episodes. In a nutshell, it's a show about celebrating triumphs, pushing boundaries, and exploring rough edges. Through conversations and shared stories with friends and colleagues, it's my hope that we can begin to understand our edges. And what I mean by edges is those places where we're fearful, those places where we are resistant to change, those places where paradoxes and contradictions live in our beliefs and our understandings, both internally and collectively. Listen, we live in edgy, challenging times, but life isn't black versus white. It's an embrace of both. And the more we recognize our own edges and get real about them, the more we can help others to do the same. And that, I fully believe, can help to change the world. So thanks again for tuning in. And without further ado, it is time to introduce our guest this evening. Harriet Sugarman is a multi-award winning author, influencer, and connector in the climate movement. She is the 2021 recipient of the Water Spirit Suzanne Golas Award, a 2020 New York City climate hero, and a 2019 featured speaker at the Global Engagement Summit at United Nations headquarters. Harriet is the executive director of Climate Mama, an online community she founded in 2009 that reaches individuals in over 110 countries and all 50 states. As a leader and a mentor with the Climate Reality Project, Harriet established the Climate Reality New York City Metro Chapter and served as its first chair. She was the recipient of the prestigious Climate Reality Alfredo Circus Memorial Green Ring Award in 2017, and is also profiled in former U.S. Vice President Al Gore's book, An Inconvenient Sequel, Truth to Power. Harriet's writing and thought pieces on climate solutions in, appear in international, national, and regional publications online and in print. Harriet's 2020 book, How to Talk to Your Kids About Climate Change, Turning Angst to Action, is a national finalist for the 2020 Forward Indies Books Awards and a silver award winner for both the 2021 Independent Book Publishers Benjamin Franklin Book of the Year and the 2021 Nautilus Book of the Year. Harriet has worked for more than 25 years with governments, international organizations, and edu educational institutions on climate and sustainability issues as an, econom an economist, policy analyst, informal educator, and adjunct professor, including 13 years with the International Monetary Fund as a representative of the IMF at the United Nations. Harriet serves on New 
numerous boards that address climate, public policy, youth, gender, families, and justice, including as a senior advisor for Our Kids Climate. And she lives in New York City. Welcome, Harriet. Thank you so much, Sandra, for that kind introduction. And it's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. It is such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on. I'm so excited. Uh, as everyone will learn, I am a, an enormous fan of you and the work that you do. So as I'm starting all of my podcasts with my guests, I'm telling how we met. So I will do the same with you. But um, I'm going to just jump in and say that um, I attended the Climate Reality Leadership Training in 2017, and Harriet was my glorious mentor. And, but I've got a great little story that I want to tell that leads in and relates to the edge of every day. So it's September 2017, and I have booked in a room in New York City the follow-up show to my solo show, The Edge of Every Day which is this podcast is based upon. So it's, I've booked the room. It's a month before I've got all of my promotion in place. All my PR is going out. People are, are booking flights to come and see the performances. I'm very excited. It's politically inclined. And my husband and I go and see Al Gore's new uh, movie, the sequel to An Inconvenient Truth, the sequel. And so we go to our little local indie theater and we watch it and it's uh, we're completely jazzed. And he talks about the Climate Reality Project so much in that version. And it's so now it's really on my radar. I'm all jazzed. We, you know, we're out. I'm in the car going off and how I want to check it out. And, and I just quickly check my email on my phone and there's an email from the venue where I'm doing my show in October 2017, it is closing for good. The doors are closing for good at the end of September. So I've already paid for Things have gone out. People have spent money to come and see. My head's about to implode. So rather than address that immediately, I come home and I pull out my computer in my bed and go immediately to Climate Reality Project and Lo and behold, the same weekend as my show was to have been, there is a training in my hometown of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania with Al Gore. And within days, I, of course, I had signed up. And there I went back to Pittsburgh and met Harriet Sugarman. All I things never, for a reason. You never told me that story. I never knew that story before. That is awesome and wonderful and meant to be. Wow. And meant to be. And meant to be. Now, had... Um, yeah, had you ever been to Pittsburgh? Just quickly, had you ever no, seen? No, I had never been to Pittsburgh before, um, yeah. so it was my first time, and I, I never knew that you were originally from Pittsburgh. Yeah, I am, and it was yeah. a great. It was great to be back. It was great to see how the how the town had grown, but most importantly, it was great to meet you and a thousand new friends who were attending, learning how to go out into their universes and their community. Uh, communities and speak about climate, the climate movement, climate change, et cetera, et cetera. So how, let's talk a little bit about um, the Climate Reality Project and how you, you came to be a part of it. What is the Climate Reality Project, first and foremost? Let's share that with awesome. our listeners. Good question. And let's start right there, too. Yeah. So with Al Gore's first film, uh, An Inconvenient Truth, you, you are talking about the sequel that that came out in 2006. And uh, you know, he he has his own stories behind how he came up with developing that. But the basis for it was this slide deck, actually, um, and that he's started traveling with around the country and around the world, telling the story of the climate crisis. And that film is interwoven with his personal story. But my understanding from that, and that was out again in 2006, was that the success that it met with, which was surprising to him because it uh, you know won an Academy Award, it actually was very, you know, sort of resurrected the discussion around climate in the United States. And he said, and I spoke to the first uh, person who was the executive director for, it was then called the Climate Project. Uh, and I guess he said, in six months, we are going to train people and they're going to go back into their communities. They're going to take my slide deck and, you know, 
they're going to talk about climate and we're going to make a movement. And she said to him, well, six months? I don't think so. And sure enough, um, he he made that happen. And he started, uh, the first training was in the fall of 2006, um, actually at his home in Tennessee in his barn. Uh, There were 50 folks that were there. And then he held six trainings in early 2007 in Nashville. So every other month, can you imagine having those trainings? Actually, it was a couple every month almost. So I was in one of those very first trainings in 2007, not the one in his barn, but um, shortly thereafter. And uh, as you said, they have grown immensely since then. We had a thousand people uh, in Pittsburgh, which I actually personally think is the ideal size um, for an in-person training, big enough, but not as big as some of the other ones that we've had in person, um, up to 2,500, which is kind of hard to manage. Um, but And now we've had some online trainings as COVID has forced many things to happen, I think, in this regard, you know, for better and for worse, um, because we haven't had the in-person ones, but I think we'll have hybrids moving forward. So the long and the short of it, just as you said, Sandra, it's a it's a place to come together to learn the science, to learn how to speak about climate in a very condensed period of time in person over two and a half days, over 10 days online, you know, certain hours over the day uh, to be able to feel confident to go back into your community uh, to take this deck or, and to do many other acts of leadership um, because that might not be the only one. And it was in the beginning, but now we have many, many other acts of leadership. And to be part of this wonderful community to meet amazing people um, mm. like you and I met. And so, yeah, it's wonderful. And our next training hasn't been announced yet, but look for it uh, very soon. And um, yeah. Absolutely. And I'll be, uh, we'll be announcing all of that information How at the end of the show, how people can find that. Mm-hmm. How did you step into the role of mentorship was it just were you asked when you were one of the initial trained or is that was that some an extra special thing that you wanted to do as part of the group well you know as we started to have more trainings after so we had that first year and then mr gore took it internationally and he didn't do any more in the u.s for three or four years after that um he actually did one which um for a faith-based, a faith-based training, and then that was the only I had one read about that was that. done. Uh, and then he started having them come up again, and uh, yeah, so they needed mentors, and because I was in that first group, so I volunteered, and I loved being a mentor, uh, and have done it uh, many, many, many times now, and each time it's different, um, but always rewarding, and. So I'm pleased that I was able to move into that role. And then, as you said, when we started chapters, that was uh, when we moved into local because we didn't used to have those until 2017, same time. Uh, So I was uh, fortunate enough and we'd had informal work happening here uh, in New York, in the New York City area, but was happy to be able to start the New York City chapter. Fantastic. And how many how many local chapters are there across the United States? Do you know offhand? You know what? We're over 140 local chapters now. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to be a climate reality trained person to be a part of these these organizations. Absolutely not. It's open to anyone and everyone. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's, it's a fabulous, fabulous resource to find ways to educate yourself and to just dive in. You just can't feel overwhelmed about the information. You just have to start. You just have to take that first step forward and dive in. You don't have to think of yourself as a scientist. Just think as somebody who's ready to learn and make some changes. And it's time for our first break. And when we come back, we will talk about Harriet's organization, Climate Mama, among other things. So when we come back. Thanks, Andrew. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy. And I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? 
Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. back with our guest climate mama harriet sugarman on the edge of every day so uh, i i want to talk for a second about this article that i read harriet Mm -hmm. um it's by an israeli historian and philosopher Mm -hmm. yuval noah harari and it was in the new york times and uh, it was interesting because it, it it he talked about the narrative of climate change um and so his key theme, as of course, as a philosopher, is the idea that human society has been driven by our capacity to believe in what he calls fictions. Yes, fictions. I would agree with that. <laughs> These stories that capture our collective imaginations, and whether that's gods or nations or our cultural beliefs, etc. But our belief in them contributes to our societal cooperation. And he was asked how this relates to climate change. And the scientific community has communicated clearly about the scale of the climate crisis and the urgency of the problem. And, you know, so when we're thinking about all of this, why is there a lack in the global political will to address this this issue, this crisis, these catastrophes. And his answer was, this is fascin- was fascinating to me. It's important to have human enemies in or human en- enemies to have a catchy story. With climate change, you don't, he says. Our minds didn't evolve for this kind of story. We evolved as hunter-gatherers, and it was never the case that we would somehow change the climate in ways which were bad for us. So it's not a story we're interested in. You know, the tribe, we all can get down with the tribe that wants to kill us or the other person. That, but this existential idea of something out in the world that's going to, it, it's somehow we can't wrap our brains around that. And that's why we don't have a good narrative. That was his, his belief. I'm not so sure that, I mean, that's as good of a reason as any certainly our evolution but yeah i think that's a really interesting actually analogy and it is something that's not only it's too big for many of us to get our arms around and our brains around and it until recently and you and i were talking about this earlier you know where mother nature is now saying pay attention to me i'm not your enemy but look what i can do and where every one of us has been part of a climate emergency, some kind of extreme weather event, uh, or, or if it's not us personally, it's our aunt, it's our cousin, it's our dear friend, and it's happening everywhere. It's not only happening over there. You know, you right. talked about how I used to work at the UN, and I started working on climate for the UN back in 92 when we were having our first Earth Summit, uh, when we first were sort of defining sustainability, looking at the climate crisis, and 
to me back then, it seemed way over there, wherever that was. Totally. Um, But I don't think we can, to anyone, it's over there anymore. It's Uh, here in front of us. Exactly. Well, and even the the last people who are dragging their feet and wanting to kick this down the street are going to be yanked into it. I mean, because it's here, there's no getting away from that. But even today, I'm shocked at so I want to back up with terminology 101, because even now, we have a a spectrum of people, I'm sure, that are watching this, that that know about this, and we can never over-educate ourselves enough. So I want to talk about what is global warming versus climate change? What is climate? What are those terms? Global warming was the first that I remember, and it was so easily manipulated. Um, and stories created around it per this article. So tell us what those terms mean. Let's get clear. clear sure. And, and you're right. Words matter. And those words were, were manipulated to say, oh, well, it's cold today. So global warming isn't must happening. Be. But, yeah, must not be true. But so global warming in its simplest term really means an increase in the Earth's average surface temperatures due to a buildup of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. And so then people roll their eyes, what are greenhouse gases? What does that mean? But, uh, and though, you know, and we'll, we could talk more about that, but that's what it is in its simplest term is the average surface temperature of our planet is increasing. That's happening. And, and actually we're causing it to happen, but that's global warming. Whereas climate change is also a broad term, but it refers to long-term changes in climate and it can be temperature and precipitation over a longer a long period of time, so over decades. Uh, so w- we are changing our climate. Science is telling us that we are seeing that, you know, and those people that say it isn't happening or it's happening in a different way, you can cherry pick different times. But yeah. when you look over long-term trends, our climate uh, is changing, right? It's getting more extreme. It's changing. And the average temperatures are increasing. So global warming is happening as well. It's actually happening too, yeah. And I I always think of it in climate in terms of systems. That's Mm -hmm. how I try to explain it um, when I'm asked and thinking in terms of the long-term understanding of how the systems, the global systems work on the planet and how those are shifting and opening up and tightening, et cetera, et cetera. But um, you, yeah, you mentioned the story of things. So and how eyes roll back with the CO2 and, and the well, story of, you know, that's just such a weird story. And it's, I can't relate to it. And I, I can't wrap my brain around this idea of CO2. What's that? It's this hazy story. But now in 2021, we have a story we can really relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, we have this story, uh, a human drama that the youth are now grabbing onto because, I mean, it's all of our stories, but they're so loud about it and they're make they're making this great claim that is making everyone snap too about how they're being sacrificed on the altar of the greed of the elders that have systematically chosen to keep their head in the sand, to stay willfully ignorant or not do, make the, the hard decisions to solve this. So they are they are going to have a very different future than us. So this brings me to your Climate Mama uh, organization, um, which is it, it started for, as I understand for, well, you'll tell us, started for kids, but for kids of every age. Yeah, well, no, and actually it was started for the adults, the elders, to be able to uh, find the words to be able to talk to young people and to be educated, to be able to help uh, explain what's happening. And, you know, so, and, but to your point about uh, youth voices and youth rising, even back in 1992, you know, when I worked on this first Earth Summit, we had young people that came to that, it was in Brazil, that came from all over the world and raised their voices and said, you're not doing enough. What, you know, wake up, you politicians from all over the world but but we didn't have social media then and the story the 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 science that we roll our eyes back it it wasn't it was evident but it wasn't as clear as it is today and 
Uh, personally, I think that it was the 2018. There was a report that came out from the UN that really said we have till 2030 until we pass these tipping points. And it was the first time it said it really bluntly. It was on the cover of all you know newspapers all over the world, uh, every web page you turn on. And that, to me, seemed to have woken people all over, but especially the youth movement came together. That's, you know, right after that, when Greta Thunberg, we hear a lot about her as a youth leader, you know, sat in front of her parliament by building in Sweden by herself. Other young people were inspired by that. So I would, and I think that's been building since then. And um, so I, I, and I think even though we, they were there before those young people, it sort of was then that all of a sudden we started listening, you know, you're, Um, podcasts and your stories about deep listening and telling stories. And I think youth were not deeply listened to on their concerns prior to that in the way that they are being um, heard and, and, and invited to the table, I think in a real way, not just uh, here we have a youth sitting at the table with us kind of way. Um, So, so tell us about climate mama. Yes. Sorry. So I, you see, I can get. It's all good. All of it is good. So I did the climate reality training, as I said, in 2007, and I came back to my community and like, well, well, what do I do? And where's my space and place in this? Because it has to be personal, right? About your Mm -hmm. story. It's not just showing, you know, the science, because that doesn't seem to move people, right? That's where we see eyes rolling. So for me, I had young children at the time, and I was looking for answers as a mother to be able to talk to my kids, talk to my community. I, I, I went back and saw nobody knew what I was talking about or what I had learned. It, it just was so far removed from their lives. And I couldn't find anything specifically talking to me. So I started Climate Mama. And that was back in 2009. Now there are many others, but I believe we were the first uh, parent-focused climate organization anywhere. Fantastic. So tell us what we can find on that website. Um as you know, we'll reiterate this again at the end of the show as a resource, but talk to us at what, what you can find on that website. Yeah, you know what, there's a, a lot of stories um, that we share of other uh, people, other parents around the world that are taking action on climate, that are doing things in their own communities. Um, there are resources, books, I, you know, ideas. So we share things that are focused around the lives of young people. And you don't have to be a parent. It's, you know, if you have a, you're an aunt, you're an uncle, you're a caregiver. Um, those kind of stories are things that you'll find uh, on the website and links to resources and other organizations. Fantastic, and and your own personal story. And I love I love your um, your motto. Yes, it's tell the truth, action speak louder than words, and don't be afraid. Uh, something right that probably was shared to us by uh, someone in our lives, at, at maybe on something completely different. But I think when it comes to the climate, it's relative and very important, and for us to be able to tell the truth no matter what age our children are at, um, to show through our actions to them that we are doing things and to move through our fear, right, through from the edge uh, to be able to uh, continue to be hopeful and move forward even when we know we're dealing with an emergency. Yeah, we are truly at the ultimate edge and it is moving through our fear, um, our ultimate edge. Well, it's time for us to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about COP26 when we're back. Thank you. Howdy. I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? 
Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Chipping around, kick my brain to the ground. These are the days it never And we are back with Climate Mama, Harriet Sugarman. And in this portion, I'd like to talk about COP26. Um, You know, there are a lot of people who are reading about this that don't even know what it is. They've they've read that they, they may have seen Greta Thunberg talk about, you know, it's business as usual. They might have seen... Um, John Kerry talked about that it was a lot, a great hopeful move forward. Um, please let, tell us what is, first and foremost, what is COP26? What, what's it in relation to? And then when you're finished with that, let's get into your thoughts about how it went this, this year. Sure. Thanks, Sandra. And I think it's a great question, right? Because there are so many acronyms when it comes to the United Nations. And this is one of those many acronyms that even when you know what it is, which it's the conference of the parties, the 26th meeting, what does that really mean, right? Uh, It is, and it's, so it is the decision-making body of something called the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, which was one of the, uh, agreements and outcomes of what I talked about before that first Earth Summit in 1992. It goes way back till then. So actually, I've had a history with it since way back then. Uh, And it's the 26th time it's met, right? So that's the, uh, you know, we know that the Paris conference was, uh, and they usually have the names after them. So the Paris agreement, which many of us would have heard about, was a COP, and then the agreements that come out of it. Now we have the Glasgow Pact, uh, Pact because it was this meeting happened in Glasgow uh, just recently. And uh, so, so that's what it is in a nutshell. And in my opinion, uh, I and I just wrote a, a post about it on Climate Mama, so people can go back there to see Wonderful. more details. But I, I think that we should have cautious optimism coming out of the uh, of the COP because. What we need to remember as a baseline is that this is a, a, a convention, a meeting of the United Nations, basically. It's met all these countries of the UN, over 190 countries, but and the UN has no enforcement mechanism and no mechanism to do that. So anything that comes out of there and then goes back to each country has to be agreed upon in that country. So we want as it relates to climate, strong decisions, but then it's us, it's through moral suasion, it's through individuals and organizations and companies saying, you agreed to this at this meeting, you who went to the UN meeting, now you have to stick to it and do it. So we can't expect, and that's, I think, the disappointment of many people, that what happens there then just means, okay, it's going to happen just like that. Because it then has to go back to each individual member of the COP, each country, and be implemented. But what I've seen happen over the years with these meetings, there's much more involvement by civil society. There's much more involvement by companies and corporations 
in a good and a bad way, in the good way where they come and they make big announcements on what they're going to do around climate and sustainability. In the bad way, we're seeing more and more of those actors that are trying to slow things down also appear at those meetings. Uh, but I think that there was a lot that happened in and around uh, this COP. It was the first time that we saw a reference to phasing out coal and phasing out fossil fuels. We'd never seen that those were language. Yeah. And as you said, language matters and words matter. So to see that, that's important. And then again, we saw outside of that, a lot of other agreements and agreement on methane and agreement on deforestation that have a lot of signatories. So a lot that has to be done in a short period of time. We saw China and the United States have a bilateral agreement. We saw companies and investment banks get together saying they're going to give trillions of dollars um, towards climate action. So there were things that happened. Uh, now we just need to make sure that those countries stick to it and those companies stick to it. Absolutely. Yes. And some of the, dis- I, I did, did want to talk just quickly about the disappointment of there was the, 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 the complete phase out of, mm-hmm. of fossil fuels, the complete phase out. And there was a big push from China to, to change that languaging to um, or phase phase down, mm, not phase out down. to cool. phase yeah. down. Mm-hmm. And and another thing that I was just speaking of youth as we did in our last, you know, this what what is it Fridays Fridays, Fridays for, for future for future mm-hmm. this new mm-hmm. this and, and having the youth there to re- again really drum home mm-hmm. that d- bring it to the streets in that that these kinds of discussions have been been behind closed doors, and that we don't always or haven't paid attention. I shouldn't say it's completely behind closed doors. It, it's up to us to pay attention and, and to, to, to make the effort to educate ourselves. But having those kids there and having the, all, all of that surrounding it, um, all the youth pounding on the drums and getting the word out, really, you know, making it more feels like it was way more accessible the information i think it's getting there more and more so i remember going years ago in 1995 actually to the it's called the fourth world conference on women in china mm-hmm. and i was there with the imf so i ought to go into those blue zones and into those you know into the, the meeting side of it because we're a specialized agency of the un but that was one of the very more first times where you saw civil society outside like really start to put pressure on and that's only been building you know over the last almost 20 years now and so that outside those outside events that happen the youth voices uh, those are really important but remember that cop is a government it's made up of governments that's yeah. who's sitting you know who's there and so to be able to influence that you have to get to the government representative so you know there's yeah. a lot of stuff that goes into that that from the outside it's like well why can't they just make a decision or why can't we <laughs> be sitting there and it just isn't set up that way so well you have to maybe make a new something new uh, yeah. it should be that climate crisis is top on everyone's like it's an emergency. We should all be working on it and everything should be binding. So maybe Absolutely. we need to create, you know, new uh, and important international global them. government. Yeah. <laughs> There'll be a lot of problems with that in this country. So. Right. Oh my <laughs> yes. God. Well, back to those stories, those stories we love to tell yes. about our, our, ourselves and our nations and our cultural heritages. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So let's, let's, um, I, I'm not sure how much time we have left, and so I'm I'm hesitant to dive into this next question, but I'm going to go for it. So, okay. um, as an economist, mm-hmm. what's the relationship between our economy and the global climate crisis? Yeah. Weigh in a little on that for us, because I know that that's a confusing thing. Thanks. We've got six minutes to go. Thanks, Sam. Okay, no problem. We can cover that in yep. six minutes. <laughs> uh, well, you know what? It's everything. It's it, it's completely related. You know, yeah. money on a dead planet is yeah, nothing. I know. So yeah, yeah, I just, can't eat that. Yes, I can't and drink so, that. Right, exactly. And so we, you know, you can't you can't put one over the other. I, I mean, you you can actually. We have to solve the climate crisis, or there's no economy. There's nothing will happen. We've seen in COVID, right? How uh, things have broken down or stopped working. When people can't work, when people, you know, 
can't get to their jobs in this case because of illness, because of uh, inability to, to, to be able to come to your place of business or work, right? What happens when climate breakdown happens and we can't uh, get to work when food can't get to the store or to the supermarket when roads are eroded when roads don't work well you know I'm, I'm originally from canada i saw horrible pictures from british columbia just recently of roads that have completely fallen apart all over the climate all over the uh, province because of uh, extreme weather just recently so this happens all the time and so how you know as we stop and find out ways to reduce our emissions, we also have to learn to adapt and build resiliency because the climate crisis is here forever. And so it's not only, and I know you're all about, and we have to build that internal resiliency Truly. and figure out how we are going to adapt to be able to deal with the, the sadness that's coming ahead. And our, we have and to build up. Yeah, and the changes. So that has to happen internally. It also has to happen in our cities and our towns if a company wants to survive, so it it, it we can have no um, economy without understanding and addressing the climate crisis. So uh, you can't talk about them separately and or put you know we can't have our economy and not work care about the environment. The harm that the climate crisis is doing to our environment is equally harmful to our economy. Absolutely. And well, and I, I think about um, this makes me think in terms of all the finger pointing, which is rightly so, finger pointing at oil companies and and capitalism in general. And, you know, but but we have to engage with this capitalistic society that we're so attached to really take a look and yes, we want to point the finger at them and we want their behaviors to shift dramatically. We have to have them shift dramatically. But it's also up to us, to your point of looking internally, what actions, you know, I'm I'm used to having certain things and yeah, I I can I can switch to paper bags and but there are some big shifts coming down the pipe that we have to embrace and learn about and and understand that this will be the new normal because we will not be going back. So so it's a, a what is my relationship to you know I want big corporations to change but I have to change too. Right. The things that I want, the the amount of electricity that I want, the amount of power I want when I want it, when I jump in my car, when I want it. You know, all of these all of these yeah. shifts. Well, and that's why my book is something that everybody should read because it talks about all of those <laughs> things. <laughs> but, but also, uh, you know, we can do many things as individuals, but there is this whole, and it shouldn't be a conflict because we need the system to change so that, uh, you know, you can get on the train and it all runs by electricity or so does your car. Um, but we need all those systems to change Shift. and you know, the, the sacrifices you can make as an individual in this moment of time, you know, might make your world seem okay, but it's not, you know, you have to also, I think what we can do externally to tell our stories, to change people's minds so that they vote in, you know, for, for people that support uh, actions on the climate uh, crisis, recognize it as an emergency, only support companies that have those same recognitions uh, that they are not just talking the talk, they're walking the walk and ourselves too, mentally, in our heart. If we live through our passions uh, and see the climate crisis there, what we can do, we can all be part of the solutions. Amen. And that's a perfect time to break. And when we come back, we will talk about that glorious book and more (laughs) resources when we come back. Thanks, Harriet. Join us every Tuesday at 4pm Eastern for the Mind Behind Leadership, where we focus on what leadership really means to us and to others. We have practical discussions with the CEOs of some of the world's largest companies, owners of small businesses, and experts in psychology and behavior to get that inside track, what to do, what to avoid, and what really happens. Join me, Graham Dobbin, at the new time, 4pm, every Tuesday for the Mind Behind Leadership, here live on talkradio.nyc. 
Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Calling all pet lovers. Pet Avengers, assemble! On the Professionals and Animal Lovers show, we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong. It mirrors that bond between pets and their owners. Through this program, we come together to learn, educate, and advocate. Join us live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Chipping around, kick my brain to the ground. These are the days it never And we are back with Harriet Sugarman, author of the award-winning book, How to Talk to Your Kids About Climate Change, Turning Angst into Action. Tell us about your book. Thanks, Sandra. You know, it is a culmination of those years since I took uh, my first climate reality training and I started Climate Mama, and it was uh, written over the 10th anniversary of Climate Mama and to tell my story uh, and to share what I'd learned. So I think that it brings together the story of climate reality uh, from understanding the science behind what's happening. And I share that understanding the politics just as it is, understanding our feelings and coming to terms with once you understand the science and the politics behind the sadness that can be there and moving through those stages of grief. And then it offers, you know, once you are prepared for that, some ideas on how to speak to your kids or children in your life at different ages. And it has my voice, but I also was fortunate enough uh, to be able to, and honored to include other friends and colleagues in the climate movement who share how they speak with young people about the climate crisis as well. And then it takes it, you know, to those next steps. How do we not only share the story, but share active hope, not just hope because hope in a vacuum is what, what good is that? Anything, sure. Right. And so we need to, how can we, and what is that definition? What is active hope? And so how do we pursue that? And how do we, as you said before, live that motto from Climate Mama telling the truth, actions speak louder than words, and not being afraid to move through it. And my, you know, sort of final message in that sense is that for ourselves and for our children, if we see everything through that lens of we're living a climate emergency. We're going to be living it for the rest of our lives. What are you truly passionate about? Because we need everyone and we need everything that anyone can do that they're passionate about. If you see it through that lens on the climate crisis, then you can be part of the solution, part of our journey, because the climate crisis is something that we will be living for the rest of our lives. Science tells us that it's not something that we're going to solve and be done with it. We, are, you know, have we're changed. Yeah, we our planet in a way that it seems like a long time for us, perhaps in it's happened in one person's lives, but in the billions of year history of our planet, what we've done has happened like that. Yeah, blink of an eye. What are some of the things that you're, you know, in, in my reading, I'm so enthralled and you brought this up about the grief what what are the some of the things that you're encountering with some of the young people in your life um you know i just saw on a tweet someone i follow uh, i 
what's her name? I've forgotten. Anyway, she she asked, um, what's one thing that you hope to see in a lower carbon society? And one of the one of the answers was no anxiety riddled children. And I, of course, you know, mm-hmm. we just, I don't think about that because I don't have my own children and I'm not around other children enough to notice that they would be really anxious about their future of uh, on earth. What are some of the things that you're encountering What um, yeah. with them? Absolutely. Well, and now, you know, finally, too, we're getting some some data because everything, you know, we need we need data, we need studies that show us this because anecdotally, absolutely, I'm hearing that and I'm seeing that. And, you know, in the last two or three years through actually colleagues of ours with climate reality, there is now a climate psychiatry association. There is a North American uh, version of uh, climate psychology association. Or, so, so there are professionals that work on mental health with uh, that this, are yeah. addressing this. But now some of those professionals have done data and studies. And I think, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but one thing that as we recognize the anxiety and the grief that our young people are feeling is to validate those feelings. Oh my goodness. Because, right? What they're feeling, they should be feeling it. They should be. We it, should all be feeling this. Absolutely. And so we have to help them see it. They don't have a psychosis. There's nothing wrong with them that they're angry, that they're dis, you know, distressed, that they're feeling despair. Because we have now changed that they will never live the kind of uh, life that we did. Life that we did or the planet and its it's balance. We've set the planet out of balance is balance. what we've done with the climate crisis. So our earth, which was this, you know, being that operated in balance. Spectacularly. Right. And we have upset her balance. And she's showing us that through extreme weather events, through um, so many different impacts that are related to the climate crisis that if you aren't aware of that, and our youth are, are tuning in, right, they're really active, they're finding that information everywhere. So even when we think that our youngest children are too young to hear that, they're probably hearing it, they're seeing it, you know, in different ways. So we have to have the words to help share th- that information with them. And now we have to the data, there's uh, studies that have been done uh, with thousands of youth in, in uh, more than 10 countries, there's other studies coming out that way that show that young people, right, they're feeling stressed, they're feeling concerned about having children of their own, if they're old enough to make those decisions. Mm -hmm. They're feeling concerned about continuing with higher education. Why should they, you know, when their future is just going to be terrible, they're worried about climate justice issues, they recognize the unfairness of the climate crisis, it doesn't impact us all equally. Uh, And we and it, on a country basis or in our own neighborhoods, right? Those least responsible for the climate emergency are are regularly the They're first. the biggest price. Exactly. And so we're seeing that and we're hearing that from young people. And we should have answers about, I think, validating first and foremost that those feelings uh, are real and important and that they can articulate them and share them is, is critical. Indeed. So in this portion, I want to, um, of course, offer some resources. Um, Your book is an extraordinary resource, as is your organization, Climate Mama. Um, uh, In in terms of some of the, the things that you offer in your book, just let's I want to quickly talk about, before I get into some of these other resources, just a couple of things that people can expect in your book of ways that they can begin to make some changes. Sure. Uh, Well, again, as you said, there's a whole resource look. There's a a conversation starters that even if you don't have the book, there's a download of the of a book club guide that helps you oh, work yes, through yes, yes. Uh, your feelings and have those conversations about things that were 
uh, discussed and brought up in the book. Again, there's a chapter in the book on the science uh, of climate. And so, it, and it shows over more than a hundred years that scientists have been telling us uh, the science behind it. If we put human created greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, we are going to change the climate. So we can look back well over a hundred years. And so it, uh, the, it takes us through that, the, uh, the book, it takes us through some of these stories that have been told where uh, we put the blame on uh, ourselves because we are told that uh, by everyone, right? We have to reduce, we have to reuse, we have to recycle. Mm-hmm. Well, those are good ideas, but where did that come from? That came from bottling companies, from packaging right. companies who started, you know, that trend. So that information is there in the book. Uh, Excellent. It, it, yeah, it shows you it shouldn't be divided um, by politics. Yeah. It has to be truly, everybody. Truly. Yeah. Uh, so I, sorry to interrupt. No, no, please. Our, um, yeah. um, so your the website, Climate Mama dot com just how it sounds <laughs> yes the book again how to talk to your kids about climate change turning angst into action and you can find links to that on your website um, and i'm sure you can find it in your local bookstore but if you have to get it online you and you can there are other places you can get that another a great um resource also for those artists out there that i'm aware of is Arctic Cycle and mm-hmm. the Climate Change Theater Action, mm-hmm. led by Chantal Billadieu, which mm-hmm. I've been a part of, and I just had a friend on who is directing some plays with that. So for, for if artistry and climate change is up your alley, that's a fantastic resource. Um, another resource, climatemuseum.org. These are all fantastic places for all of us to to come to over and over again to continue to educate ourselves and again share that out in the world and climaterealityproject.org yeah. mm-hmm. um, all right i'm so we we i could talk for another hour with you thank you so so much for your time your wisdom your insight harriet um, you are a hero, a hero. And I am an inspired fan for life of you. And I'm so grateful you're in my life. And thank you for coming on the show and sharing all of this. Thank you. I feel the same way. Thank you for hosting such a wonderful program. And I'm honored to be on uh, one of your guests. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you. And to all of you listening in, uh, you can find me again at sandrabargeman.com. And until the next time, Remember, we're always at the edge of the miraculous. Take good care. This is our last dance. This is our last dance. This is our sound. Under pressure. Under pressure. Under pressure. Uplift, educate, empower. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. Have you ever thought of reinventing yourself? Are you looking to create a new life's journey? Hi, I'm Kevin Barbro, host of Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, live, 8 p.m. Eastern, on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live to hear me and my guests from a variety of different backgrounds. As a former college coach and a current full-time actor and owner of multiple companies, my show is as eclectic as my life. That's Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, 8 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. 
uninformed about menopause and how it impacts on your life? Hi, I'm Pat Duckworth, women's health strategist and host of the Hot Women Rock radio show, empowering women leaders at menopause. Join me every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. UK Time on talkradio.nyc for interviews with inspirational women who will share their top tips to rock your world. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower.